Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Cubs Corner, presented by Cubs Analyst. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and on today's edition, we welcome a very special guest all the way from Las Vegas. Mike Bryant, father of Cubs superstar Chris Bryant, is with us today. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Hey, good morning. So, could you explain to me what you currently do with the Bryant Baseball Academy? Basically, I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional hitting instructor, and, and I have also have uh, six club teams uh, called Team Adidas. Um, and basically, you know, it's just, just private professional hitting instruction out of my own cage. And, uh, you know, we, we do any type of swing analysis for students that are capable. We use the ZEP analytics, and uh, so they can... Uh, you know, we can use video instruction, stuff like that. i got a pitching machine so I can really kind of dial in and set any speed uh, in any type of break and pitch, righty or lefty. Um, just stuff like that, just uh, total uh, 100% baseball all the time. And obviously being 100% baseball all the time, you had to play baseball when you were younger. Tell me a little bit about your playing career. Um a total Shakespearean tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I was a ninth round draft pick in the Red Sox organization in 1980. The same, the same uh, draft that picked Daryl Strawberry number one, and uh, oh, uh, I was the first outfielder picked by the Red Sox. And um, I played uh, two and a half years in the minors, a short season plus two seasons. Um, back when I was playing. They had a January draft and they had a June draft, and plus they had uh, a free-for-all free agent signing for all the international players. And uh, they were cycling in 150 players every year. So it was pretty – I mean, you had to produce right away or or, or you would be gone. And um, it's kind of brutal. Uh, nowadays, they keep you, keep you around for five years so you can develop your skills. And um, So I think they've – uh, improved the starting system has improved and the development system has improved. I think the, I think back back when I was playing, you know, they realized that you needed more than chicken wings and pizza <laughs> to stay healthy. And but and that's pretty much what it was. They threw you, gave you a uniform, you brought your own glove, even had to buy your own bats. And uh, you know, and then you know, I had all the skills. Uh, you know, I was a total five tooler everything uh but i didn't have a, a mentor if you will i didn't you know my family was supportive but they didn't have the knowledge you know to really kind of help, help me navigate that baseball landscape so i think chris has benefited uh tremendously from that and in that brief career you had with the the red sox in their system what was the highlight of your playing career oh man there's probably there's probably a few of them um was the some of them not so cool, but they were really cool highlights. Um, um, I think when I was playing in the minor leagues, I think uh, probably one of the best uh, moments was I, I went to extended spring training for about ten days because I had to rehab from a thumb injury, and uh, I was in St. Petersburg, and um, or uh, and uh, they called me up. I played a game at ten in the morning. I was done at noon. They called me up to Winter Haven, which was high A ball, which was about a two-hour ride. Hopped in the car. This In the morning, I went four for four with two home runs. And then uh, they called me up for the game. I got there about four o'clock, got the uniform. And then uh, we were playing the Astros, and I hit a two-run homer in the eighth inning, in the bottom of the eighth when we were down one nothing, and, and, and we won that game. So that was a nice day. Yeah, um, so three home a day. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, it seems like that was all the home runs I hit in the minors. But, <laughs> um, but I did, uh, I did get a big league camp in my second year, and I was, you know, I used to work out with, um, you know, Jim Rice, uh, Yaz, Carlton Fisk, Jerry Remy, Rick Burleson, Mike Torres, Bob Stanley. We wow. all worked out together in the off season in New England in an indoor facility at Tufts University. So I spent a good couple months with those guys. Walt Riniak was a hitting guy. He was a big Charlie Lau protege back then. And um, I didn't meet Ted Williams until I got to spring training, my first spring training. And for two years, I get to work with Ted Williams. Um, you know, we, we would get down there at 6 a.m. in the morning on, on the backfields, and he'd take maybe two or three of us. And um, 
I was just like him. He was a he was a hitting rat, and um, and I just couldn't get enough. So I was with him pretty much on probably four or five days a week, every morning at six a.m., working out for two and a half, three hours before our workouts started. So um, I got to I got to work with I think the best hitter ever played the game. And wow! And now you're a professional hitting instructor. Did that uh, constant communication with Ted Williams kind of play into that? You think? I got his book when I was 14 years old, The Science of Hitting, and, you know, I kind of read it, you know, but, you know, what 14-year-old do you know that likes to read? So right. <laughs> I, didn't really, I didn't really spend a lot of time reading, just looking at the pictures and stuff. Um, when I got into college, um, I worked with another hitting guy, signed um, with the Red Sox, and I got to meet Ted Williams, and um, everything that he taught was so different from what everybody else was teaching. They were... Uh, you know, my whole life, everybody's teaching me to hit down on the ball, hit the top of the ball, hit the ball on the ground. I never liked that because it never made me feel good. When I hit the ball in the air is when I felt good. So when I, my, when, when I got to talk to Ted Williams about his, his hitting theories, about you know, trying to meet the ball squarely with a slightly upward pass um, to the ball, and then he started explaining all the science. He showed me why. He showed me all the numbers, why this is good. Um, I really took to it right away, but I had to make some serious swing changes and get rid of some bad habits. It took me about a year to do it. The year I got cut in spring training, I hit over 400. Um, so I was kind of shocked. I think they had made up their mind on me based on the past performance. But I think if I got one more year, they probably would have seen some marked improvement. I probably would have hung around for a little while, perhaps even made the big leagues. But Ted was a major influence on my life. I just, at that point, um, I just said, boy, this is the right way to hit. I mean, this guy hit the power and average. He was a contact guy. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, you know, and then I, you know, baseball kind of disappeared from my life for about 10 or 12 years until I had my own kids and they started playing. And then I realized that if I'm going to teach my kids, I'm going to better make sure they, you know, that I'm teaching them the right things. And I felt that, you know, Ted Williams was, you know, I never take credit for any types of successes that I may have with my students because it's important you know to you know to understand where the knowledge is coming from the game's you know the game's far bigger than any one individual and Ted Williams I don't know if there's anybody bigger than him really and he was larger than life so yeah he I, I, he's I'm 100% convinced it was the right thing to do at the time and now everybody that's teaching nowadays that's worth their salt is has they're teaching Ted Williams' stuff. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. And when you look at it, how ahead of the curve he was, he was 50 to 60 years ahead of the curve. And now they're talking about launch angles and vertical angles and attack angles, you know, spin and trajectory and depth and, you know, horizontal movement on the pitches and vertical movement. You, you have to meet the ball squarely. You've got to match your bat path to that ball path. So it's pretty impressive. And so would you say your hitting philosophy is pretty much that? You've got to have an kind of upward swing path so you get the ball in the air more often than not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pitcher's on a mound throwing downhill and plus creating depth on his pitches with, you know, sliders, curveballs, splitters, change-ups. Everything moves down. So, you know, you release a ball from a six-foot two to a six foot six inch release point thrown to a catcher's glove that's 18 inches off the ground that ball path you know you don't want to swing down you're just going to be chasing it into the ground you know backspin you know that's totally overrated you know it works in golf because the, the clubs have loft on them you know but it doesn't work in baseball i mean people might think they're swinging down but at some point they're swinging up and they're swinging they're meeting the ball on the same trajectory that it's you know, and they're putting the bat on the same angle that the ball's coming in. Well, that's what we, so I taught Chris all his life, hit the ball in the air. You know, I mean, you could, you, people can argue this all they want. I don't care if they get Hall of Fame credentials. I don't care if they've hit 600 home runs in the big leagues. Okay. It's, you know, the balls on the ground are outs 85% of the time. Balls in the air are hit 75% of the time. And that, that excludes home runs from that calculation. If you want to hit the ball on the ground, you're gonna you're gonna hit 100. You're gonna hit 150. If you hit the ball in the air and you hit it hard, you're gonna hit 750. And so the goal is to hit the ball in the air and hit it hard. That's why you look at the hard hit rates, what contact, you know, 
you look at all these numbers. If you're a fan, a deep, a real deep fan that's looked at, takes deep dives into this stuff, you know, people hit the ball hard 40% of the time and they're making contact with the ball, you know, in the zone 70% of the time. There's a big gap there between hitting the ball and hitting it hard and then trying to have, have a high average. Then you factor those those figures in, you know, that 85% of balls on the ground are outs and 75% of balls in the air are hits, line drives, high drives, pop-ups, fly balls. They're hits. you got to hit the ball in the air. That's, I don't, to me, that's just completely indisputable. That's an absolute, that's a, that's a, you know, a, a, the 11th commandment of baseball. <laughs> I mean, you hit the damn ball in the air. I mean, it's, people that argue that, you know, or I, I think they, they flipped it or, this, this, I don't know. I, I hear it on MLB all the time from you know all the all the ex big leaguers. You know, oh, if they just try to hit the ball in the air, I'm just going to throw it up in the zone. Okay, good. Pitch it up in the zone. You get a few more strikeouts, but you're flirting with disaster up there. So, you know, pitchers win it most of the time, anyways, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So pitchers need to take a chill. <laughs> So we all know Chris is a Chicago Cub now, but tell me a little bit about his road to get there and how you contributed. Um, well, I was kind of teaching him how to lead the league in fun and passion, you know, all his whole life. And if you're not having fun on the baseball field, quit. Don't even bother playing. You know. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, I tried to tried to lead that way. To I, I tried to have more fun than anybody and tried to challenge everybody to keep up to me and you know Chris was a real quiet kid because he played up you know in age one year so he's always playing with older kids so he was always very quiet and he was uh, he learned you know he watched he watched you can observe a lot by watching I guess Joe, Yogi Berry used to say that so <laughs> he used to observe a lot by watching and um, so he would take in the game never pushed it on him never yelled at him I made it a made it a kind of a a pack to never yell at kids because I didn't want him associating fear, anxiety, tension, anger, you know, with the game. I want him, I want him to see me having fun so that he would have fun. And, you know, Chris has a lot of fun out there, um, but he's also got high expectations. And, uh, you know, sometimes those get in the way because sometimes they're unrealistic. You know, it's kind of like I used to tell him this might have been the biggest mistake I made. I said to him, I said, you know, you don't, you know, not everybody's going to hit a thousand, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. <laughs> and then I would kind of compartmentalize that. I said, you know, for one day you can hit a thousand, perhaps for two days. Uh, three days is pretty hard, you know, but, you know, so I think he took that to heart. I mean, he probably believed that he could hit a thousand. I used to tell a story. I used to tell a story when I was in college. My, uh, junior year I was getting heavily scouted my sophomore year I was coming off a career year you know in college and and uh, I go down south and I got my ass handed to me just I went 0 for 33 with 16 strikeouts I mean I just that was my first brush with serious adversity so I come back from my southern trip up north it's freezing cold weather and I just looked at my buddy he was who was Mike Lavalier he played in the big leagues for 10 years about 10 years and uh, I said I'm going to hit a thousand man yeah, me too, man. All right. So I I started out the season going 16 for 16. Wow. And I went, I went from zero to 333 and over the course of five games. I was like, I really started to believe I could hit 1,000. So I think that's where that came from with uh, with Chris. But, so Chris is hard on himself like that. He, he has high expectations. And with those expectations, some of them as grown up might be to make the majors. So when did it click for you that Chris was destined to become a major league baseball player? Jeez, I don't know. You can use that word destiny like they use in Star Wars, you know. It is your destiny, Luke, you know. I don't, you know, I just, I just, uh, you know, the game's full of disappointment, you know, and you have to, you have to take, you have to take the good with the bad so when I, I know Chris was always really good, man. He was, you know, when he was, you know, I used to joke, you know, Harp, Bryce Harper was getting all the attention out here. He was kind of sucking all the oxygen out of the out of the city, so there's nothing left for anyone else to breathe, you know. <laughs> and uh, so Chris was in a gigantic, you know, shadow storm cloud, if you will. Um, and and I used to say, you know, there's nothing that uh, Bryce Harper has done on the field, you know, that Chris Bryant hasn't. 
And uh, so Chris was kind of under the radar. I think he learned how to live under the radar and operate under the radar, which was kind of bad for him. He was supposed to kind of take the edge off. Well, we know how that worked out because Chicago media and fans and Twitter trolls have been going apoplectic stupid the first two weeks of the season. And I'm right. like, man, what's wrong with these idiots? Are they just... I mean, I can say douchebag on a podcast, right? So <laughs> why do they have to act like douchebags, right? Honestly, yeah. But, you know, so, but, you know, so Chris, you know, learned how to operate, you know, and I kind of tried to remove the pressure there. So I knew he was going to be good when he was young, but I didn't know, you know, of course, how good. Um, he was always a small kid up until he was 15 years old. I mean, you know, it was average size, you know, going into high school, he was 5'9". Uh, as a freshman, by the end of by the beginning of his sophomore year in high school, he was six five, and we had that swing, you know, on him since he was a kid. And so all of a sudden, you got a big body, and you got this, you got this Ted Williams swing on him now. And that's at that point, I go, okay, it's time to watch out. I knew he was going to be a draft pick. You know that that's the, that's step one. But getting him to the big leagues, you know that's that's not an easy thing to do. You know the, the funny thing about the game is the better you get at it, the harder it gets. You know, so it's you know when you get better at something, it's supposed to be easier. You know, it's like golf. You know, the better you get, the harder it is. And, and you know, you become a scratch golfer. Now you got to now you got to go under par. That's where the real bread is, bread and butter. And baseball is the same way. You, you're good enough to get. You know, to dream, you're good enough to dream, and you know, once you get amongst your peers that are just as good as you, now it's, you know, now you're under assault on a daily basis. Pitchers, they call it pitchers assault you on a daily basis. I mean, they are just ruthless, and you know, they're spoiled brats. They get their way all the time. You know, <laughs> they, people hit 150 off them. They think 85 percent of the time they're getting people out. You know, you know, it's just the opposite. You know. Um, you know, with hitting, so you know you're failing all the time. So getting Chris to be able to deal with that um, and to be calm, I think I've done a pretty good job of keeping him even keeled. Yeah. You know, and that he doesn't get too high, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, celebrate home runs, flip bats, all that stuff. Shows respect, you know, to the pitchers, even though sometimes they don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look how many times he's been hit this year. This is getting stupid. At any rate, so I knew he was going to be a draft pick. Getting to the big leagues, I think I had a feeling about his junior year, you know, after he finished his junior year in college when he was going to be a top five pick because I knew that, you know, those guys going in the first round in the top five picks have about a 90% chance of playing one game in the major leagues. So I knew he was going to play at least one game. So, so as his primary hitting coach, do you take any credit or pride in his success? Um, not, well, not publicly. I let him give me the credit, but pride, hell yeah, definitely, probably to a fault, to a sin, you know, to a deadly sin, yeah, I take a lot of pride in it, but I have this thing, I this, this kind of creed I live by as an hitting instructor, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to take any credit for anyone's success, and because of that, I can't take any blame for the lack thereof. So I don't, I don't want to put myself out there. You know, if you're hitting, you know, it's because you figured it out. You know, I was just a book that talks, um, a book that talks a lot, and you know, the talking audio book and, and um, a wealth and dearth of information and passion. And you know, I'm serious about you know what I do and things I say. And, and, uh, but I'm going to put it on you because you're going to get all the credit. But you can give me all the credit you want. The, the, the guy that's swinging the bat can give me all the credit he wants. But I can't take it. And But with Chris, okay, he's my son. He's lived with me his whole life, you know, pretty much. And as far as baseball concerned, um, yeah, I'm, you know, no one else could have done what I did with him. I'll, I'll guarantee you that. So, yeah, I'm going to take credit and, and, and a whole bunch of pride. But I'm still going to take the humility that comes with it because I Chris knows you know he struck out three times in his debut he struck out five times in his pro debut he went down seven times in a row in the cape nobody's experienced you know what my kid has on both ends of the scale I think or maybe that might be a little too strong there but but you know Chris Chris is you know he he got to the big leagues and all his success the blue collar way you know he wasn't he wasn't anointed by any means he you know, he had to work hard. You know, I'm not saying that nobody else has worked hard, but, you know, 
you know, he's, he's the working man's baseball player. So, like you mentioned, the first couple weeks, you're, you're frustrated with the way um, people on Twitter and on social media were handling Chris's slump, but when Chris gets into any slumps like that, do you ever talk to him about how to get out of them or just hitting like Obviously. that? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, you know, because usually when you go into a slump, it's just self-inflicted. You know, you it's because, you know... You're over, and now you're, you know, you 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 send a, you know, you're getting frustrated, you're getting tense, you know, uh, you're getting anxious. All those things lead to the dark side. You know, <laughs> you can't you can't function, you, you know, under that under that circumstance. But by the same token, it's really hard to to uh, you know to to remove those those negative thoughts and obstacles if you're not doing good. See, I always told him to. You know, that you must try not to have your confidence tied to your success, you know, because you're going to be in a mental or an emotional roller coaster because you're going to be 0 for 4 and you're going to be 4 for 4. He three jacks the other night, you know. You're going to be, you know, the next day he goes, he, he gets his hitting streak or on base streak snapped. You know, this is, this is the game. Look at that. I mean, look at that. Just in two days, two days ago, he was on, you know, at the top of the game, on top of the world, at the top of his game, and he, you know, he had some good swings. He didn't get on base, so now he, you know, and that's the storyline. His hitting streak was snapped. You know, geez, man, you know, what is it, Cubby Blue, that blog, or whoever does the heroes and goats? He's three jacks in seventeenth and ninth inning, and he didn't even get the superhero. <laughs> what do you want him to do, man? Yeah. Um, so obviously, like I don't, I don't you said, take those things too serious, though. By the way, gotcha. <laughs> so, like you said, he's he's red hot right now. Homered three times on Friday. He's uh, up to, I believe, eleven homers and thirty-two runs driven in. What do you like from Chris at the plate right now? Well, he, you know, there's some things that happened over the last couple of days where you know he's he's he. He's kind of getting away from it, but um, while he was on that run, he just made a decision to made a decision to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more selective. Plus, you know, I think the other thing is really that you know people don't kind of look at the game the way I look at the game. But the first couple of weeks, and I mentioned this to Evan Altman over at Cubs Insider. He's really good. He's a, he's a deep diver into numbers. I said, if you look at Chris's, if you take a deep dive into his metrics and how hard he's hit the ball, he's hit a tremendous amount of bad luck when he's hit it hard. And then for the first few parts of the season, the pitchers with an uncanny success rate were putting all their pitches into the zones where he wasn't hot, where he typically doesn't drive the ball hard. And they were just hitting those spots like whenever they wanted to. It was very frustrating for me to watch that. I'm like, hey, dude, make a mistake, will you? You know, well, they did start to make, start to make mistakes. And he got and he was ready for them. And I think that's what I was stressing with him. He says, you just have to be ready in, into a more heightened state of awareness because they're going to miss. And you might, go, you might only get one pitch to hit per at bat. Well, I looked at the numbers and I looked at the pitch charts and, and the in uh, the in the hitting charts. Chris, in the first in his first thirty five at bats, he he got a total of sixteen pitches. Okay, that that he could drive, and of those sixteen, okay, he, half of them he was making hundred mile an hour plus contact that were getting caught in Seattle. He hit four of them in in Miami when they were down in Miami. In Miami, he hit three, and you know it was ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm like, geez, when's gonna, when when one's gonna fall? You know, mean, meanwhile his teammates are dropping little dribblers in the infield, tappers over the mound, and they're getting getting hits, flaring, getting broken back. You know, spray sprayed balls over the first baseman's head for doubles. Chris is just sitting there because I can't can't buy it. And these guys are one of my breaks coming. You know, right. He got one last night. Got a little blooper over the second baseman's head, and ended up being the game-winning RBI. But so yeah, I just try to try to just keep him focused on staying in the routine, you know, and don't let your confidence be tied to your numbers. You know, confidence is meant to be taken. It's not meant to be, you know, 
connected to performance. Your confidence is something that you take with you, that you believe you're the best player in the field no matter what. You know, and that's that's not easy to do because then you start crossing over the line into being a trash talking, you know, cocky base, baseball player, and you don't want to be that either. You know, right? So I think there's a fine line you walk every day on the field. And Chris has recently made a change to a, a bat with an axe handle. Um, was that something you suggested or knew about? Uh, I knew about it, but I never suggested him to, to use it. I, it just kind of happened. I mean, I know the guy from Axe Bat. He's, he's talked to me several times. He worked with the Zap Analytics prior to becoming uh, – he actually designed the handle. But, you know, I, I kind of joke. I said, yeah, it's a magic bat. I said, I used to do this all the time to the kids. I, I'd run the bat through an upright horseshoe, you know, where all the luck stayed in it so it wouldn't run out. And I'd run the bat right through the horseshoe and put magic in their bat. All of a sudden, they'd get hits. I said, Axe has that in their manufacturing process. <laughs> they, they run the bat through through the horseshoes at the end after they after they finish everything off to put all the magic in it. But no, there's the truth. The thing is about the about the the axe bat is the way it feels in your hand. It, you know, it, it 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 they have discovered, uh, you know, something in the manufacturing process that uh, uh, you know because a big league hitter is so tuned into the way his swing feels. Okay, and, and you must be. That's essential to become a, a professional hitter. Is that they know how those hands feel on the bat as it comes through the zone. It promotes the you know the the proper swing path where the barrel of the bat drops below your hands early in the zone, so that the hands stay high and you know you you manipulate the bat head. You know that's why it's not a downward swing. By the way, the barrel of the bat has to get below your hands at some point. When you make contact with the ball out in front of you, the barrel, the hands are not the, the the hands are not below the ball, and the barrel is not above the hands. I mean, if you watch anyone swing at the point of contact, you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, the axe bat takes that top hand and it drops it in the slot, and it gets under the top under the bottom hand as it's coming through the zone earlier. So, you know, you're allowed. It may, it, their their whole thing is to get the ball in the air, and. You know, they get it, you know. Their their thinking is in the right direction. Now they've discovered some kind of design that allows allows the hitter to feel that. And I think you know, you know, with Chris, his his that's been his swing his whole life. So this bat was kind of, or maybe his swing was built for the bat, or the bat was built for his swing. It's kind of both. So I think he kind of just happened onto it. I don't know if it's a game changer. Um, I mean, it has been for Chris. Obviously, he's just been been doing he's been doing really well with it and so i mean will that translate into a 400 hitter with 70 home runs again i don't who knows you know <laughs> um but it you know he, it's it they discovered something where the sensations in the swing chris was discovering all those positive sensations in his swing through the way this bat was designed and felt so yeah go for it man stay with it it's it's interesting he always had his pinky on the knob you know, right. Yeah. The, like McGuire used to do, and and this axe bat tends to make that a seamless transition. It means it doesn't. You don't feel the knob in your pinky. You know, you just feel the handle. And um, I think it's pretty cool. There used to be a bat model number that I used to use back in the day by Louisville. It was the S two twenty six. That kind of felt that way to me. I have one in my cage out here. It's, uh, you know, I was just checking that out the other day. It kind of intrigued me. And I went back and said, yeah, okay, this model, I like the way, because I, like I like to be down on the knob as well. So he was, uh, you know, I think he's discovered that, and it certainly has helped him. So anything that can help, go for it, you know. What do you think are the, the main things you taught Chris, both as a hitter but also as a person? To be a great teammate to do as I say and not as I do because I'm imperfect. So to not step into the same potholes that I stepped into when I was a kid, um, his mom had a great influence on that. You know, I said, it's just being good, good parents, being humble, you know, don't be full of yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt, respect everybody. Um, don't yell at the umpires. Let me do that. I'm, I'm better at it than you are. Um, even though he's 
he had some words with some umpires, not Manny, but, <laughs> um, you know, just, just, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, man. You know, treat people like you want to be treated. Um, if you don't have anything good to say about someone, don't say anything. Um, they, they, Jesse and Chris do, they do a pretty good job at that, you know. And, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's pretty humbling. You know, both my kids are like that. His older brother, Nick, is he's a physician's assistant. And he's a passionate dude like me, and he likes to talk. And um, But he's a really loving, caring person. And I, I think, I think uh, Chris is like, he's very considerate of other people's feelings. Yeah, and you mentioned the fact that Chris, I mean, he, he won an MVP. He won the Rookie of the Year. He's done all these great things, has all these accolades. His stats are always terrific, but he kind of flies under the radar because he doesn't play the game in a way, like you mentioned, like Bryce Harper with the bat flips and all those other extracurriculars, has respect for pitchers and stuff like that. Is that something you tried to instill in him, or he kind of took it on his own? Um, I just don't think he likes bringing attention to himself. He's just, you know, I mean, you you know, if you if you really knew me, and I'm a type A, incredibly passionate. When I get after something, I get what I'm after. I played in a ro- I played in a rock and roll band for years. I like the attention. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, um, I like I like to dial one eight hundred. Who cares? And uh, there's someone on the other end of the line. You know, I'm <laughs> um, I'm an opinionated, <laughs> a righteous. You yeah. know, uh, you know. And, and he's the opposite of that, you know, which is, you know, like I said, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, I, you know, I try to, I've been humbled my in my entire life many times, you know, and I understand it. I'm contrite. And, and I think, uh, you know, Chris is, you know, I, I don't know if that prevents you from, from, you know, being, a, you know, in the spotlight. I, I think, I think Chris got in the spotlight kind of un unwillingly you know because he you know he, he, he you know he has expectations um in performance but he, he might some fans might have unreasonable expectations he's always trying to meet them mm-hmm. um, stuff like that he's you know he wants to be a good teammate he wants to you know he wants to win for the team and i think he feels like he lets the team down or lets the fans down if he if he doesn't and and if he doesn't have success so I think that plays into you know, the type of person he is, so he doesn't seek the spotlight. So, I, yeah, I guess you could call him a superstar. Um, I don't think any, nobody's done what he's done in the history of the game. You know, then Golden Spikes, Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, Golden Spikes, my early player of the year, Rookie of the Year, MVP in four consecutive seasons. I don't know that you'll see that ever happen again. I think that's... Uh, 511 career wins, Cy Young. I think that's Cal Ripken's, you know, consecutive game streak. I think it's, uh, you know, Barry Bonds' home run record. I, I think, you know, I just, so yeah, when you come in with that, you know, with that type of track record and then win the World Series after you were dubbed as the savior of the franchise, yeah, you know, I, I was a little uncomfortable with that, believe me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just tried to keep him calm through all that. So I can see, you, you know, you can see why he's he's the way he is. I mean, geez, man, when you hit, you hit 295 and 292, you know, and it's not 300, it, you know, I don't scale it up. Yeah, he hasn't hit 300 yet, but, <laughs> but you know, he's expecting to, and he will. He probably will someday, you know. Look what happened to Cody Bellinger and, and, and Yelich this year. Where did that come from? We thought they were going to do what they did in the first six, seven weeks of the season. I don't think anybody expected that. You know, you know, it's come off a great season last year, but I mean, come on, let's let's you know, let's let's compare him to Pujols and and Bonds and stuff to these. You know, and I mean, even Chris's MVP year, he didn't get to forty home runs, but and Ted Williams, you know, and Triple Crown and Miguel Cabrera, did they meet those those? those performance metrics no so we don't we can't get the hype up so that's why i'm saying i i didn't expect bellinger and and yelich to come out firing on all cylinders like they have but good for them you know and and i think it's it's good for the game and i think it inspires other players you know they go hey man you know like look at hobby man that guy's just absolutely relentless in pursuit you know and 
it's I think it's really good for the game. So, but it can also be a double edged sword, you know. And you got to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. Ted Williams hated the media. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy hit three forty every year, forty five home runs, and one hundred and forty ribbies. What more do you want? Yeah, well, Hack Wilson had one hundred and ninety one ribbies one year. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, how cool is it for you to say that you taught hitting to? Golden Spikes, Minor League Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, the MVP, and a World Series champion? Well, if it isn't, it should be serious resume enhancement. And it, it has been, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I've, I've been able to be a full-time hitting instructor. Um, I can do, you know, I can do whatever, as many as I, you know, I can fit in. And, you know, I was running 55 lessons a week at one point, 55 hours a week in lessons just can't physically do that anymore, but I got people on a waiting list, and my waiting list was up to 50 people at one time, the kind of attrition because I couldn't get them in, but now I'm back up to 18, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that's been a tremendous boon to my business. They want to hit like my kid, and they want to know what my kid knows, and believe me, it works because there's a choice. You have to make a decision. When you come to me for a hitting lesson and, and the things that I teach that are, you know, Ted Williams' philosophy and what everybody else is teaching out there, you know, it's it's completely opposite. So you gotta step back and you gotta go, Okay, so and so's teaching this and Bryant's teaching this, so uh hmm, what do I wanna do? You know, they're completely opposite. And I make I make that clear to him. I said, Look, I'm not gonna you know, I said, this is what I teach. This is this is where everybody's going in the game. You can believe it or not. I mean, there's some resistance to it. For some reason, I don't know why. It's, you know, people are hitting, the players are hitting more home runs than ever, but there's not as many 40-plus home run hitters in the game as there were years ago. So, but there's more people hitting home runs, as if that's a bad thing, you know. I mean, they talk about how strikeouts are up, home runs are up. They're swinging for the fences, and this is a bad thing. And I'm like, okay, you got rocks in your head, or, or there must be a lot of air between, you know, between the ears up there. If you home runs are bad, then yeah, but strikeouts are up. I go, well, what I say is, well, do you ever think for a minute that the pitchers are getting better, bigger, stronger? How many guys are throwing a hundred now in the majors? I think you can directly correlate the strikeouts with how many guys. Or throwing a hundred. How many guys are throwing ninety five? I faced two or three guys in the league that were throwing ninety five when I was coming up. Now there's twelve, or you know, this well eight on each team. It's just it's ridiculous. So yeah, strikeouts are up because the pitchers are getting better, not because the hitters are hitting more home runs and trying to hit home runs. It's not that case, and and, and people are starting to make that case. And I'm passionate about that. The other thing I'm passionate about. Is just how terrible major league umpires have become. I mean, they need to own this and they need to be accountable for it. But there were thirty five thousand two hundred ninety four calls made last year that were wrong call in the major leagues. They were called they were called strikes that were out of the strike zone. Fifty five of them ended games, and they affect they're affecting the outcome of the games now, which in turn affects the the amount of money and revenues that are streaming into the game that players make, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the electronic strike zone is long overdue. So during the season, um, when Chris is busy playing 162 games, how often do you get to talk to him? Well, when he's going bad, <laughs> if he's an offer or something, he'll, he'll talk to him. But I talk to him a lot, text him a lot, email him now and then, and I'll talk to him once in a while. You know, geez, man, it's almost every day when he's going bad and half the time just to say hi and hang and come to visit you. You know, we try to get out and see him once a month. Um, I just got off. I was just there for 10 days when the, you know, the Cardinals series and Miami and Milwaukee. And that's when he started to go off to get those, started to get home runs. And that's not a coincidence, by the way. Dude. <laughs> that's, that's directly related to him having his hitting guy with him 24-7. Fuck <laughs> baseball. You know, and, and being there and supporting him too. And I'm not taking anything away from Madden or Anthony Iapochi. I mean, he they help him a lot too on a daily basis. I mean, they have to. That's what they're there for. That's their job. But we share the same philosophies. I met Iapochi several years ago when Chris was in the minors, and I he came out here to our cage in the winter. Him and Termel Sledge and 
we spent some time, you know, talking about hitting and stuff. And, uh, we're definitely on the same page. Those guys are good, man. Do you get to watch the Cubs on uh, on the days when maybe you're not in town? Every day. Yeah, every day, except when they black out the stupid games out here in L.A. and San Francisco. They even black out the ones that are played in Wrigley. It just ticks me off to no end. <laughs> well, what's, uh, what's a fun fact about Chris that um, many fans would not know? Many fans would not. A fun fact that, hmm, that's interesting. No, he's pretty vanilla. Um, you know, um, geez, man, I don't think there's any little quirky little things, you know. Uh, he's a pretty straightforward guy. He likes to watch Netflix and Survivor and all these shows. That, you know, he watches the reality shows and <laughs> he loves he loves musicals, you know, um, movie musicals and um, dabs a little bit with the guitar um, now and then. And um, he's just, he's so dedicated to us. He, he goes home after every game. He doesn't go out partying. He doesn't drink. He doesn't, He's totally, you know, 100% dedicated to his job and his craft. And uh, he gets his rest. He takes care of his body. He eats right. He's, he's, you know, I'm not saying he's a perfect human being, but, man, he's a great kid to have for a son because I never worried about him or my older boy at all. I didn't never worry about him. I never, like me, I used to drive my mother crazy, man. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for that, you know, and I told her that a hundred times. But my boys have been just wonderful to, you know, Chicago should really love him, man. And, you know, they should cut him all the slack he needs. He's, he's all about, he's all about the Cubs. He's all about the fans. And for anybody that's listening out there, you need to know that. He's got a lot of good, he's got a lot of fans out there that are really cool. There's always a, a handful that just kind of ruin it for everybody else. You know, I just, they must have miserable, rotten lives. <laughs> it's just not good, you know. So I say just be happy. You know, try to have some, lead the league in fun and passion, man. And then, you know, it's just going to, it'll be infectious, you know. Ravi's enthusiasm is infectious, mm-hmm. you know. He goes out, he, sometimes he goes overboard a little bit. He might be a little bit of a drama queen once in a while, but I love him. I'm just telling you, he was, that's the way I was, you know. So, if it wasn't for baseball, where would Chris Bryant be today? Um, well, jeez, uh, man. He started out wanting to be a dentist, but all the medical stuff got into it, got in the way of baseball. So, he went into finance. So, I don't know. Where would he be? Um, that's a good question. You know, because it just seemed like he was going to be a baseball player from the time he got into high school. Um, so, he would have probably put the same dedication into He would have probably gone and... and become a dentist you know but I don't know if he would have been able to handle that job because he, that they tend to inflict pain <laughs> yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't like to hurt people if not that he probably would have gone into you know you know financing you know I don't know if he would have been an investment advisor or maybe a, you know probably got interested in, in the bank management or, or something like that it's, it's, it's hard to say um you know, he's, but, you know, he's shown interest in stocks and his investments and stuff like that. So he probably would have gone away, probably would have gone into the finance industry unless he would have been able to dedicate himself to dentistry. So those are probably two of the things that he would have gone into. So in the fifth year of Chris's major league career, what has been your favorite moment so far? Uh, there's been so many, man. Um, obviously the World Series when I was on my phone holding up my phone filming it you know that this could be the last out of the World Series I looked at my wife and I was sitting next to the Rizzos I said I hope that this guy has a ground ball to my kid and he throws it to your kid <laughs> and surely enough it happened and Rizzo I'm sitting there going it's oh my god what just happened it happened just the way I said it and I'm, and I'm on the phone and I'm announcing it and I said, this is a ground ball to Christmas and the Cubs are going to win the World Series and it was like unbelievable but the walk off uh, against the Rockies was really cool I was uh, at that game actually yeah I was there too man um, that was really cool that was uh, I think that was his first walk off ever oh no no he had one in college against BYU um in the 14th inning that wow. was really cool but um 
he uh you know the major league moments uh wow you know watching watching him get the uh Hank Aaron award and shaking hands with you know one of the greatest home run hitters to ever live and probably the greatest home run hitter to ever hit live and it depends on where you are in the on the bonds thing but I have an appreciation for Bonds. He may have made some mistakes, but guy's a great player. Um, but, you know, seeing that, uh, getting the MVP was a great moment here in my batting cage. And Yeah, I you know, remember were, that. That was that was really cool. Uh, um, on the bus, going on the buses and those open-air buses for the World Series Parade was absolutely, um, uh, you know, humbling moment. But I was like, oh, my, I, you know, the love that was expressed that that was unbelievable i mean you could feel it i mean you know it's almost like a like a breeze coming your way of love you know and you see man this is ungodly i was like and i get i got to the grant park and said, this is bigger than woodstock are you kidding me mm-hmm. you know um so yeah those moments were amazing um um so yes rookie of the year was cool too um World Series moment was the biggest, most that and the parade that followed was the, were the two most moving experiences. With the with the walk off right there, that was a cool individual one. Um, proud moment for Dad. How was uh, pitching at the home run derby? That was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I took some heat from that on Twitter. I, know, <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, I, all of a sudden I developed a two seamer that was you know had all this movement. You know, I was trying to put it down and in. Okay, because those are the ones he hits the furthest and highest, and it's not his favorite pitch, but he crushes it every time. So uh, it took me about eight pitches to get it into the right spot, and then he started raking. And you know, I think uh, going up against pool holes in the first round was a little bit uh, unnerving, if you will. Um, That was intimidating a little bit for me. Um, So I had to, you know, I had to move the mound uh, about. 12 feet closer because uh, I'm used to pitching from 35 feet and Bobby Tewksbury was next in line with Josh Josh Donaldson I met me and Tewks talk a lot he's a great hit instructor by the way and he was like all nervous because he had to move the thing back and I'm like oh man I'm really sorry I didn't mean to do that to you <laughs> but I said I can't reach the plate anymore but at any rate that was really cool looking up seeing 50,000 people I mean Chris had a, you know Chris did well Pujols beat him 10 to 9 with about 12 seconds left um, and uh you know, I don't know if I was going in to win it. I was just enjoying it. The experience was incredible. Um, I don't know if it's one of the best ones, but it was certainly a good one. And you know, just be the, the whole All Star experience. You know, was hanging out, doing the parade, sitting in the back of the truck, hanging out in the locker room, eating prime rib before the derby. They, they I mean, it was unbelievable. I had an orange crush smoothie. I was like, who makes orange crush smoothies? <laughs> You know, so I was like, I love Orange Crush, and that was really cool. It was like a creamsicle, you know. I mean, there was, you know, I met Todd Frazier's uh, brother, who's, you know, who pitched to him, and he was a really nice guy. And he, he, he talks to me now and then. And um, so, you know, I, I got to meet Hensley Mullins. You know, he was behind the, you know, with Mattingly, and he's, he's going, hey, Mr. Bryant. He says, how you doing? I said, Bam Bam. I says, for crying out loud, you're calling me Mr. Bryant. We're the same age. I played against you in 1981 in Winter Haven when you were with the Yankees. He starts smiling. Says, yeah, whatever it is. Says, and you're calling me Mr. Bryant. I says, Come on, <laughs> I should be calling you Mr. Mullins. <laughs> that was kind of funny. I met Don Mattingly, Bruce Bochy. They were nice to me. Uh, Heidi Watney threw me under the bus, you know, <laughs> saying that I'm taking selfies with Clayton Kershaw. And I'm like, I mean, Heidi, you know, I get your the, the fluff and stuff, but for crying out loud, I have a flip phone. You can't even take a selfie with a flip phone. <laughs> that, was, that was back then. I finally got an iPhone, but um, but that was you know that was that was a great experience too. If uh, if Chris gets invited this year, will you uh, redeem yourself on the mound? Uh, you know, I don't think I could do it, man. I haven't thrown a pitch. I mean, I'm all throwing. My arm's got no more bullets in, in, in the gun, man. It's, I, I just can't even throw. I mean, I play catch with him in the street out, out uh, you know, in, in, in the off season when he's working out with me. Um, and I can't, I can throw the ball 10 times. And it's just, I have a, it's just, I have a torn bicep or something. And, and you know, on 
the side of my arm. I just can't lift it and throw it any, I can't throw it hard. So it just hurts too much. It doesn't affect my golf swing though, so I'm lucky. There you but, go. But I know I, you know, I think I'd, I'd rather see him uh, have, you know, you know, someone from the Cubs that, that can really put it where he wants it. But I will still want to be on the field though. <laughs> So like flirting with everybody. That was fun. There's been a lot of talk of um, potential expansion teams in the MLB. What would a Vegas expansion team mean to you? How cool would that be, man? That would be that would be a reason to be here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't really, you know, I, I like the weather and everything, but I'm I'm from Boston. I'm from the New England area. You know, it's tough to get the the pilgrim out of you. You know, so I've, I miss home. I've been out here for 30 years or so, since 88. And, um, and uh, you know, I kind of miss it back home, even if it's cold. And um, So if, if, if they put an MLB team here and Chris played for it, that would probably make life a whole lot easier. And so there's also been uh, a lot of talk about Chris's upcoming free agency after the 2021 season or potentially signing an extension. Do you have any opinions about that whole situation? Not really. Um, you know, those those are business sides of the game. They they always tend to work them thing work work themselves out. I'll tell you this: it's you know, there's one thing that um, if anything I learned even before the movie Moneyball was that when you make decisions based on money, they're usually the wrong decision. So don't make a decision based on money. Um, and I think Chris will not make a decision based on money. We didn't do it when he got drafted out of high school. I mean, he was offered a you know a million and a half. He would have he, he could have gotten. We just said no, that's not going to work. There's such a thing called taxes, and they're really high on wealthy people, and, and you know, so you know you wouldn't have got nearly as much as what you what you uh, what it says you got. So the college education is worth uh, fifty times that over the course of a lifetime. So we weren't going to make that decision based on money, and. Uh, if you do that, you're going to be in trouble most of the time. So I think he's going to take that same philosophy into this. And I can tell you this, I'm sure he wants to play in Chicago his, his whole life, even if the weather stinks. <laughs> but, yeah, that, with, that's, that would be my goal. I want him to be a Cub forever. That that would be one of my opinions. Well, that's just about all, the, all we have for this edition on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. It was a ton of fun. Hey, I hope everybody enjoyed it. And go Cubs, and uh, let's let's get there again. So until next time, subscribe to the Cubs Corner Podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to catch up on episodes or listen to them in the future. But for now, thank you for coming to the Cubs Corner. Go Cubs.